Welcome to Straight Thinking, a GPS for the Christian mind, teaching you how to think, not just what to think. This is Joe Aguirre with theologian and philosopher Kenneth Samples and physicist Dave Rogstad. On today's podcast, most of us probably take the laws of logic for granted, but not everybody agrees that these laws are valid. Uh, Ken, we're going to talk about some of these objections on this podcast, but maybe as a help for people who missed uh, some of the last podcast, because that helped set a nice foundation for uh, this one. Maybe you can uh, retrace some of our steps. Yes. Uh, you know, in the ancient world, uh, Aristotle, um, one of the great thinkers of all time, he talked about the laws of logic, the law of identity, the law of excluded middle, uh, the law of non-contradiction. And the ancient Greeks believed that these laws were universal. Uh, they were objective in nature, and humans had the capacity to, to reason because uh, they could interact with, with the logos. And so the three laws of thought, that's often how they have been referred to. Again, the law of identity, the law of excluded middle, the law of non-contradiction. They, they had a very exalted position in the, in the ancient world among the Greeks. Christians, of course, may even ground them with, with a greater exaltation because Christians came along and said, the laws of logic reflect the way God himself thinks. They, you know, God can't make a square circle. God can't create a rock so big he can't lift it because that would be to engage in irrationality. And not even God can gauge in irrationality. But given, given that exalted view of the three laws of thought, uh, again, in Greek philosophy and in medieval Christian thinking, Joe and Dave, today, the laws are not viewed with that kind of exaltation. Uh, they're criticized, uh, and what I'd like to do in this program is to look at maybe a half a dozen contemporary criticisms of the laws of logic that we encounter today. All right, sounds good. Well, I, maybe a good place uh, to begin our discussion here is um, to, to show the application of, of logic. And I like to use an example from the world's religions. Uh, you know, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam have a lot in common. They're both Abrahamic religion. They're all three Abrahamic uh, traditions. Uh, all three are monotheistic, Middle Eastern, they're, they're, they're theistic in orientation, but there are also some very fundamental differences. And I, the difference I want to focus on is the difference between Christianity and Islam. And I'm going to use the person of Jesus Christ as the example. And what I've done in my books in the past is I've often made two statements and put them side by side. The first statement, statement A, says this, Jesus Christ is God incarnate, God in human flesh. And, and that's, of course, the central claim of Christianity. But the statement right below it, statement B, says Jesus Christ is not God incarnate or not God in human flesh. And that's a central denial of Islam. Well, uh, we're not talking about minor issues here. We're not talking about issues that are at the periphery. We're talking about major issues. I mean, if Jesus is not God incarnate, then historic Christianity is false. But if Jesus Christ is God incarnate, then I think Islam is false because it's missed the very core of God in human flesh. Well, the laws of non-contradiction can apply here. We're talking about Jesus Christ. We're not talking about anything else. We're talking about Jesus, his person, his being, his nature. Uh, and we're talking about the idea of him taking on a, a human nature so we can apply the law of identity. Uh, the law of non-contradiction would say, well, if statement A is true, if Jesus is God in human flesh, if that's true, then statement B is false, that he's not God in human flesh. That would be the law of non-contradiction. And the law of excluded middle, remember, always plays on the law of non-contradiction. And it says, not only can they not both be true, but one of them has to be false. Hmm. 
So I think that's a very powerful point uh, that can be applied to apologetics. And I want to take a step further here, and I want to keep the focus on Jesus for a moment, if I can. Um, you know, a, a very important part of the Christian faith, again, is the identity of Jesus. The identity of Jesus, it relates to what he's able to accomplish. Because Christians believe that Jesus is both God and man, that he is a single person but has a divine nature like the Father and the Spirit. He has a human nature like your and my nature, though unfallen. He's fully human but not solely human. You and I are fully human and solely human. We're also fallen human. He was an unfallen human, but he has our nature. So because Jesus is both God and man, then on the cross, he can reconcile God and man. He can act for God and man. Adam messed everything up. Jesus cleaned everything up. He acts as both God and man. And uh, therefore, his identity is, is central. We, we, again, believe that somehow we have to be able to connect Jesus to God, therefore connect Jesus to the Trinity, and because of his divinity and humanity, then his life, death, and resurrection makes all the difference. So some people have proposed that Christianity is Christ, and if you get Christ wrong, you get Christianity wrong. And I like to say that a heresy is not a small thing. Uh, you know, Dave and I and Joe, we might, we might differ about whether a baby ought to be baptized, or we might differ about, you know, Jesus will return before the millennium or after, or whether it's the millennium. Um, but Christians and Muslims differ about the very nature of the person of Christ. A heresy is such a serious departure from Christianity that if you were to adopt it, it would make Christianity become something completely different. You know, when Jehovah's Witnesses knock at my door, when I open and, and am able to engage with them, they sometimes come at inopportune times, and I'm not able to do it. But I try to, I try to be faithful in talking with them. After all, they're, they come to my door. And they say they want to talk Bible, and they want to talk about the truth. And I say, okay, I'm going to give you some time. Uh, when I engage with Jehovah's Witnesses, when I think through the Watchtower theology and Christology, I come to the conclusion that the Watchtower teaching and Jehovah's Witnesses, that's a very different fundamental change to Christianity. So much so that I cannot place them within the categories of Christendom. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I might have differences with my Lutheran friends. I might have differences with my Presbyterian friends. I, I might have differences with my Baptist friends or my Pentecostal friends. But all of those denominations I've mentioned, the differences don't place the person outside the camp. And primarily because all of those Protestant denominations I've mentioned, they affirm the Trinity, they affirm the deity and humanity of Christ, they, they affirm that Christ's death is what reconciles us to God. So here when we apply logic to Islam and Christianity, we're getting at really important issues. Now, here I want to quote somebody who I have worked with in the past, uh, Christian philosopher Douglas Grutheis. Uh, Doug Grutheis is uh, uh, a professor of philosophy at Denver Seminary. Uh, when I worked at the Christian Research Institute, uh, Doug visited CRI. He's written for the CRI Journal, and we, we used to talk quite a bit. Well, notice what he says about the relationship of Jesus, about the personhood of Jesus, and that, that personhood and its logical impact on other different views of Jesus. Here's what Grutheis says. He says, quote, any truth claim negates every proposition that denies it. This is the logic of antithesis. For instance, if Jesus is God incarnate, then he is not, one, a mere prophet of Allah, Islam, two, a misguided reformer, Judaism, 
three, an avatar of Brahman, Hinduism, four, a manifestation of God, Baha'i faith, five, a God-realized guru, New Age, six, an inspired but not divine social prophet, theological liberalism, and so on. Well, what are we doing when we're comparing the different religiouses, different religions' views of Jesus? We are using the laws of logic. Mm-hmm. We're using this antithesis that Grotheis is referencing, that if Jesus is God in human flesh, if Jesus is a single person who's both divine and human, then, then he is not a mere human prophet of Allah. He is not a misguided human reformer of Judaism. He's not an avatar of Brahman, etc. So when we make claims and when we talk about the gospel, in fact, uh, in a few minutes, we're going to talk about Eastern logic and Western logic. Well, you can't do that without relying on the law uh, of non-contradiction. You're making a distinction. Eastern logic, Western logic. When you talk to pe- when you talk to people in other religions about God, you're using logical categories, and you're saying you can't be a Christian and say that about Jesus. You can't be a Christian and affirm that point that is an, an antithesis to what the Bible says, what Christian history has affirmed. So, to engage in apologetics, to engage in dialogue to involve yourself in evangelism is to utilize and put your confidence in the laws of logic. And I think part of the part of the decline to some degree in our contemporary world in terms of of things like, you know, subjectivism, whether it's morality or whether it's truth, you know, that everybody has their own truth. Well, that's true for Joe, it's true for Dave, but it's not true for Ken. I think part of that is a departure from our recognition of the deep truth and value of logic. Uh, And so I think we're living in less of a rational period. Hmm. Um, I, I think just as people have not often thought deeply about moral issues, they, they have not thought deeply about logical issues. And so people think you can have your own logic. Well, that's Joe's logic, or that's, that's American logic, or, or that's Western logic. Uh, I think that's part of the challenge that, that we live in. So the first point there then is that logic applies to what we do in apologetics and what we believe doctrinally and how we kind of approach these these kinds of issues. Mm -hmm. Now, let me take you a bit further here. Um, Let's talk about some of the contemporary challenges extending further. We've looked a little bit at the world religions. Um, Here is another quotation. Um, This has to do with what I'm going to call our our postmodern woke culture. And postmodern woke culture obviously cares a lot about the issue of of injustice in society, particularly racism, right? Uh, Well, here's what what Doug Grotheis says again, again, uh, a fellow I worked with at CRI for some time. Doug says, he says that some multiculturalists have claimed that basic logical that basic logical principles are Western or male and thus not universally valid. They're they're Western or male and thus not universally valid. He goes on to say, to assert their universality is to engage in a kind of intellectual imperialism or cognitive colonialism. To insist on this universality is wrong and narrow-minded. So the idea that I would use the laws of logic to critique uh, people living in the modern world, it's, it's to engage in a type of power play. It's illegitimate. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an oppressive force based either upon my Caucasian background or my Western background. Um, 
to appeal to universality would be wrong. Now, I'm going to give you a, a particular example. In the National Museum of African American History and Culture, that's a Smithsonian museum, by the way, they produced a chart entitled Aspects and Assumptions of Whiteness and White Culture in the United States. And it, this is what it said. It said that, quote, objective, rational, linear thinking, unquote, was the product of whiteness and white culture. Let me read it again. Uh, the National Museum of African American History and Culture, a Smithsonian museum, produced the chart and said this, quote, objective, rational, linear thinking, close quote, was the product of whiteness and white culture. Well, wait a second here. Um, objective, rational, linear thinking, that's a fundamental part of logic. That's a fundamental part of science. Objective, rational, linear thinking, that's, that's just a general part of how we think the world uh, is intelligible. Um, I would say this, the three laws of thought, they're not merely an arbitrary Western or Caucasian or male construct. I agree with Aristotle. They're, they're relating to the fundamental nature of reality. Aristotle didn't invent the laws of logic. He discovered them. And, and I like in particular here what Zach Lee says. He's a Christian, wrote a book about uh, logic and its relationship to Christians. He says this, and listen to what he says. Quote, logic is not subjective. It is objective. Logic deals with rules that apply to everyone. There is no such thing as old people's logic or white people's logic or tall people's logic or poor people's logic. Logic is not part of one culture. It is a part of reality for all cultures, close quote. There is no such thing as Caucasian logic or African-American logic or Asian logic. There's just logic. And logic is universal. Now, lest you think that you know, this is, uh, is going to divide us more than we already are. I like what Peter Kreeft uh, has to say. He says, though people should not usually be rigid and inflexible, principles have to be. I, I think that's part of the problem that we have right now in culture with our postmodern, woke thinking. Um, they they kind of mix up the idea of 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 human beings being inflexible and rigid and principles being inflexible and rigid i agree that that people generally should not be rigid and inflexible but when it comes to the laws of logic they are what they are uh it, it is not inappropriate to insist and say no Nothing can both be and not be at the same time and in the same respect. These principles are not colonialism. These principles are, are universal. Now, let, let me go a step further. Now, some people might think, wow, you know, you take Aristotle, you get cold, critical, cynical views of right and wrong. But listen to what uh, Ulrich Lerner says, he's a professor of philosophy at the University of Notre Dame. He says, quote, adopting more rationality not only aids the common good, but also led to mutual learning, tolerance, and empathy, as well as, as, well as undermining prejudices and false assumptions. That is, I don't think logic's going to divide us further, and I, I don't think that using logic means we'll be beating up on people intellectually. I think there is a universal logic and we can rely upon it and we can, we can allow us to understand issues and maybe help uh, resolve issues uh, even more. Um, in fact, Lerner says this, reason has the power to bring people together and create unity because it is a gift we all share. 
I think that's some of the challenge we have in our culture now. That that there is this recognition that if you are rational and you believe in linear critical thinking, that you're engaging in kind of uh, a power play, a colonial power play, when, when in reality, yeah, human beings can be inflexible. Yeah, human beings can be rigid. Uh, but the logical principles of, of logic, which apply to science, which apply to mathematics, um, those have to be firm and unbending. And I agree with Lerner. I think the more logic, the better. I think we're speaking a universal language here. We're not talking about Americanism. We're, we're not talking about colonialism. We're talking about a fundamental capacity that human beings have that make them exceptional creatures. And, and thus logic, logic, while seen as a power play, uh, there's no way to get around this. You, you can't just set aside the laws of logic. Uh, you can't deny them. Uh, you can't invalidate them because you'd have to use them to try to invalidate them. And that would be silly. So I think we see some of that uh, in our culture. Now, I, I want to come back to one more principle, and then I want to pause and give you guys an opportunity to interact with it. But I, I, I want to make a, I want to make another statement here, and it brings us back to our earlier program, and it relates to uh, something my my teacher Ronald Nash used to say, and that is that uh, to deny the universal laws of logic is to engage in a self-defeating practice because without the laws of logic, a person cannot significantly think, speak, or act. So the Smithsonian Museum made a big error. Mm -hmm. Now they, they later took it down. They, they took it down because they got a lot of controversy, but logic is not, logic and linear thinking isn't produced by white people. It is a truth that all human beings, regardless of their skin color, recognize as critical principles of our intelligible nature. Let, let me pause and get some feedback. Oh, great stuff. I, I was thinking that very thought when you uh, brought that quote to us, the quote from the uh, Smithsonian, uh, and you just affirmed what I was thinking right there. Uh, this other quote caught my eye, uh, uh, Lerner or Leonard. Yeah. Uh, reason has the power to bring people together and create unity because it is a gift we all share. I like that. And re it reminded me of a scripture. And of course, now that I bring up the scripture, you're probably going to say you're taking it out of context. <laughs> uh, I think it's in Isaiah, which says, come now, let us reason together. I don't know. It just, it just kind of brought that, that idea to mind that this, this, this is a call from God. Uh, he knows his creatures can reason. And I think he, what he wants to say is, we need to agree that you're a sinful creature and I'm going to cover your sins. I think that's the rest of it there. But it seems like God is assuming that we're able to reason as well because we got it from him. Come, let us reason together. Yeah. Will your sins be as scarlet. They shall be white as snow. There you go. Yeah. There it is right there. You know, I... Um, I just can't help but kind of reflect a little further on the state that we're in here in the United States right now with this question over abortion, that, you know, the, the logic is plain, but they don't want to believe what the logic leads them to. <clears throat> and, you know, they don't want a moralist, a Christian, to come along and say that they can't carry out their life in terms of their moral behavior, their sexual encounters and desires. They want to have the freedom to, to behave like they want. And so they're just unwilling to listen. They just look at it as a power trip of the moralist, trying to force them into 
believing something that they don't want to believe. And of course, that then consequently leads to this whole issue over abortion, that we have to have ways of getting rid of those, those unwanted children that come as a result of our sexual revolution. So it's just a, we're just in a real quandary in this country. You know, imagine, imagine as a parent uh, spending tens of thousands of dollars to send your child to an elite university in the United States, maybe, maybe an Ivy League school. And you're sending them there because you're thinking they're going to get a first rate education. They're going to, maybe they're going to get a superior education. This is a tried and true university in the history of America. They're also going to benefit from when they graduate, having the prestige of gone to maybe a Princeton or Yale or Columbia University, and that'll carry, uh, you know, that, that'll make a difference when they put in their resume for a job. But, but what happens at the university? Now, this isn't exclusively true, but it is partly true. And that is... Um, if you have a controversial issue, let's say like abortion that Dave mentioned, or um, you know may, maybe an issue relating to uh, uh, injustice in society, uh, you know maybe the the issue of uh, how uh, minorities are treated by police. These are very controversial issues these days. So you send your child to go to the elite university because you believe they're going to get universal they're going to get a great education and they're going to benefit from it. You want your child to succeed, but then somebody comes to give a differing position. Hey, I want to come on campus and I want to give a talk that uh, challenges some of the postmodern woke ideas. Like maybe I want to challenge the idea, idea and say, you know, uh, far fewer minorities are actually shot by police than you think. Or I want to make a case that life begins at conception. Uh, I want to make a case that uh, putting a window on the womb has shown us that this is not only a, a human in the womb, but that it has humanity, which would include being a person. What sometimes happens, and I think more often than ever it should, is that I would be shouted down at major universities. I would not be able to give a counter uh, perspective. Uh, they would not listen to my rebuttal. They would shout me down. So the idea that I cannot engage, I mean, that's what education is. Ed education is to listen to critical issues of the day and develop your own independent perspective on things. And to do that, you have to listen to the arguments on the other side. If you've only looked at evidence that supports your argument, then you have not looked at all the evidence. And that troubles me that I, th I thought that a liberal education a classical liberal education would scrutinize whatever your beliefs were. But it seems that now only certain beliefs are scrutinized or accepted and others are discarded because there's very little free speech. Now, let me go a bit further here. Let me now introduce some other challenges to logic. I want to talk about what I call dialectic logic. And here I'm referring to the great German philosopher, uh, George Hegel, dates 1770 to 1831, he developed what he called the dialectic. And uh, he said that you can reason in such a way by using the triads of, of thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. Now, now, here the idea is that you have a thesis which affirms a truth, the antithesis denies it. The antithesis is the opposite. But then what comes out of the, the clash between the thesis and the, and the antithesis is a new th synthesis. Now, some people would say that 
that kind of thinking gets rid of the law of non-contradiction. It challenges Aristotle's definition where he said, quote, opposite assertions cannot be true at the same time. But the dialectic would say you have, an, you have a thesis, an antithesis, but what comes out of that is a truth called the synthesis. And interestingly enough, uh, political philosophers like Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels, they took Hegel's ideas and they developed uh, the idea that that contradiction contradiction exists in reality. So they say that's the that's the way of the world that there is this this contradiction. Now, um, I want to make just a couple points here, and I I I want to challenge uh, that fundamental idea. Um, I think that. I think that Marx and, and uh, Engels made a mistake. Uh, you can't really have a, a thesis and an antithesis and produce a truthful synthesis. I think they would have been more correct to say, maybe you have two things that stand in contrast or are subcontraries to one another. A subcontrary is they can't both be false. But if, if you really have a thesis and an antithesis, I agree with Aristotle, not Hegel. Uh, I think people have used this uh, as a way to try to challenge it. Now, um, here's uh, Peter Angelus. He is uh, uh, the author of uh, a book on, on logic and, and philosophy. He says, quote, the concept of non-contradiction together with other, the other two laws of thought is definitionally and irrevocably true. So part of the another challenge that comes along is kind of this uh, dialectical thinking that maybe the thesis and the antithesis, maybe that's not a real contradiction. Maybe out of contradiction, you get truth. Well. Um, I think Hague, I, I think that uh, Marx and Engels made a mistake there. You know, you could have differing rela logical relationships. A contradictory relationship is they can't both be true. But you can have other other relationships where they can't both be true, but they could both be false. You could have another relationship where they can't both be false. So, so you have differing, differing ideas taking place. Kind of, kind of an incompleteness. Each of these things may be incomplete in themselves and therefore, but yet contrasting. But when you put them together, you may have something that is more complete. That's right. That's right. And I, I think that we see that challenge and again, that's that was Marx's attempt to try to say that that's that cycle. That's, you know, you you have uh, you have capitalism and socialism, and they clash, and out of that you get communism. Well, uh, I disagree with the thesis antithesis. If it is, if they stand in contrast, or Dave, to use your words, if they're incomplete then maybe you could come with, with a greater truth, but not the way they reasoned. Right. So I see that as a challenge. Now, now here's another challenge, uh, what I'm going to call Eastern logic. Um, you know, uh, Buddhists and other Eastern religions, uh, they uh, reject kind of the either or uh, differentiation for what I would call a, a both and synthesis, um, and you know they would they they would argue, for example, that um, you know this logical differentiation, this contradictory idea, they say, well, why can't both of those be true? Well, uh, there are lots of problems with it. I mean, just just to differentiate between Eastern logic and Western logic. You have to use the law of non-contradiction to do that. But notice, notice what uh, uh, Lerner here says. He says, quote, everything you come up with to back up the principles, excuse me, everything you come up with to back up the principle presupposes it already 
And everything you write or think about it is only possible because of it. So we can say that the principle is the foundation for all of our knowledge and communication. He's making the point that these laws of logic, they make thought possible. They make communication possible. Uh, to set it aside means that intelligibility is set aside. So to, to use, you know, the Buddhist koan, what is the sound of one hand clapping? Well, if clapping is by definition two hands, then one hand clapping doesn't make any sense. Again, um, this applies to apologetics. When we talk with people uh, about truth, um, to say that there are two types of logic or, or that you have to set aside the either or for the both and, I would say that breaks down our ability to think about truth, to think about reality, to think about these ideas. And, and yet, um, you know, these ideas are very popular. Um, I hear people say, you're, you're too Aristotelian, you're too Western, you um, are too rational. Now, again, think back to some of the things we've said about mystery. As a Christian, uh, I respect mystery, and I respect my own limitation, but to have, uh, to think intelligently, to think rationally, I have to utilize these principles. And, and if, if to get enlightenment, I have to get rid of logic, I'm not going to do it. Uh, that's a price for enlightenment I'm not willing to pay. It, it would essentially mean I'd have to give up on rationality. Uh, and, and again, uh, that's not a Western idea. That's not a colonial idea. It's not a male idea. It is a universal principle of logic. So I, I know we... Uh, you know, we live in a culture where we don't like people kind of correcting other people. We don't, we, we're on, you know, we feel uncomfortable when some people are kind of imposing their ideas. But I would say there's nowhere to go with this. We, we have to make these statements to do anything other is to engage in irrationality. Um, you know, critical linear thinking is not the product of one culture. It's, it's a universal uh, principle that all human beings have access to. Now, I saved the last one for what I'm going to call secular brute logic. Um, and, and, and in light of uh, uh, Lerner's point here about the laws being universal and to, and to set aside logic is to engage in, in self-defeating uh, argumentation, I I want to then raise the question, um, well, where do, if there's no God, then where do these laws of logic come from? Um, you know, you could be a naturalist who would say, well, got a big problem on your hands. You can't have logical principles that are invisible, conceptual, and non-physical. If you are a materialist, if you are a physicalist, how can you have something that's not natural, not material? Um, would you then lose all logic? And, and by the way, there, there are secular philosophers who say human beings don't have free will. They don't have real consciousness. Well, that I don't know how to even talk about that. How would you even reason about that? But but another way of thinking about it would be maybe maybe the laws of logic are invisible. Maybe they are universal. Maybe they are timeless, but they're just kind of built into the nature of the universe without God. So maybe you have what we might call an atheistic Platonism. Remember, Plato believed that there were certain transcendental ideas that existed in the world of forms. 
So you had these ideas that we kind of live in the shadow lands. We live in the cave, but there are these truths that transcend into the uh, the non-physical world or the world of forms. So maybe a person could be an atheist and just say, look, um, maybe mathematics and logic are just kind of built into the nature of reality. Um, but you don't need a God to kind of do that. And I think that there's a couple things that we can, we can say to that kind of thing. Um, number one, I think we can rule out pretty quickly that uh, the idea that there, there are no universal logical principles, because if that's true, then we can't even talk about these kinds of issues. But, but I also think to say that the laws of logic are kind of, uh, you know, platonic principles, it, it seems like an ad hoc. It, 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 it's, it's merely something that is presented to kind of save face or save your, your argument from being criticized. Um, uh, and, and here's way a contemporary philosopher, this is Travis Dixon in, in his book on logic, he gives us a formal argument here. Number one, if God does not exist, then neither logical principles, excuse me, let me get it right. If God does not exist, then either logical principles do not exist, naturalism, or they exist as brute abstract objects, Platonism. Number two, it's not the case that logical principles do not exist because this is self-defeating. We couldn't even talk about them. Three, it's not the case that they exist as brute abstract objects, since this is ad hoc. Four, therefore God exists. And, and I think what I think what Dickinson is really getting at here is you really do need some kind of foundation. You really do need some kind of explanation for the grounding of these principles. Um, and Christian theism, I think, provides that grounding. It says, we believe that there is something beyond the universe. It is uh, a, an infinite, eternal, tripersonal God with an infinite mind. And these laws are grounded in the nature of God. And I, I think to some extent, to move away from that, you are kind of left without kind of, I think, a convincing ultimate explanation. And again, I come back to a point. If you're going to be a if you're going to be a thoroughgoing atheist, if you're going to be an intellectually satisfied atheist, then I think you have to try to explain how you can have reason, how you can have morality, how you can have meaning in a life without God. How how can any of these things be objective? And if they're real, on what basis are they real? Again, this, this is not over. This dialogue, this discussion, this debate has been going on for centuries. And there are plenty of uh, secular philosophers out there. There are plenty of atheists who think, hey, I'm willing to take up that challenge. I'm willing to try to give a basis for uh, reason and morality and meaning without committing myself to belief in God, I think they have a rough road to hoe, to say the least. Let me uh, ask this question of ad hoc. The, the, well, statement number two, which is that the, if the logical principles don't exist, then it's self-defeating. I mean, I can fully appreciate that. The, the the argument ends. You don't have any ground for making any kind of reasonable statement. Yeah. Everything stops. Right, everything stops. But now number three is that they exist, but they're brute force objects. And you say that's ad hoc. Now, ad hoc is where you, you just make up something to give an explanation. In this case, you just say that they exist. It's not unlike people saying that the universe just is a brute force reality. It just exists. The laws of physics are a brute force reality. They just exist. 
would you call those ad hoc then in the same way that you would call this ad hoc? Well, I, I I think in the sense that if you if you were to say, for example, that well, we're, how do we ground mathematics, or how do we ground logic, or how do we ground um, truth? And you just say, well, that's just the way the world is. Right. Well, everything stops at that point. There really is no. There really is no argument any further. Uh, you're just told that there's no way of there's no way of questioning that. That's just the way it is, Dave. Uh, rather than saying, "Look, I think there's a fruitful proposal here." What what I think is better than a brute reality that is purely a stopping a convenient stop because it is a convenient stopping place. I mean, if Sean Carroll says, "Well," you know, the universe is just there, or Bertrand Russell says the universe is just there, right? That's what he said to Bertrand Russell. Uh, that's what he said to um, uh, Friedrich, uh, the great Catholic philosopher who's... Copleston? Copleston, Father Copleston. Um, well, that just stops. But to say that, well, wait a second here, um, how can we ground, how can we ground God or how can we ground these ideas within God? An ad hoc statement seems convenient, um, but it doesn't take us anywhere. It doesn't provide us with any explanation. It's not really any different than what their claim is that when we refer to God, they call it God of the gaps. Yes. Um, but I don't think we're doing that, David. Oh, no, I, I don't think we're doing it either. But yeah. that's what they claim we're doing. Yeah. And and I would say, well, are you not doing that with the brute reality? Right. Brute, reality, saying, brute reality is is, the, is their gap. Yeah. Whereas I what I think is called for, and, and here I'm not trying to defend Christianity or theism as much as trying to appeal to reason and rationality, I think what we're called to is who has the best explanation. Right. An inference to the best explanation. What what which of the views, a brute root, a brute view of logic versus a logic grounded in the nature of a theistic God, which of them is more fruitful? Which of them has greater explanatory power and scope? Uh, and we're on to that kind of discussion. But what I want to underscore here before our time gets away is you can see that there are challenges to logic and that the, the, the three laws of thought, as they're referred to, law of, law of non-contradiction, law of excluded middle, law of identity, that these three laws of thought don't hold the same uh, you know, standard position that they once held in the ancient or medieval world, where people want to challenge these ideas. And um, I think it is fair to say that if you reject the existence of God, to some extent, you have to rethink reality and truth. And that was what Nietzsche's point was. And that's what I think has given us postmodernism. Nietzsche said, look, when Nietzsche said God is dead, I think what he meant was, look, our science and our values and our Western civilization is built on the God of Christianity, but we don't believe it anymore. So what happens to the foundations? What can we replace them with? I think Nietzsche, in his atheistic rhetoric, he was asking really good questions. If you're going to if you're going to rethink God, then you have to rethink truth. You have to rethink science. You have to rethink logic. Very good. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, my mind is uh, spin. I'm scratching my head, Ken. <laughs> well, uh, I, I'm hoping the Lord willing, Mark Perez, my good friend and uh, chief. Chief Officer here at Reasons to Operating Officer, COO at Reasons to Believe. I'm hoping Mark and I can put together a manuscript that will really be 
meaningful and, and helpful. Uh, again, I we're focusing it on on logic, learning, and life of the mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, as we await that book with eagerness, uh, you've written about uh, uh, this topic before in some of your books. Maybe you could recommend a couple of your past books that people can consult in the meantime. Yeah, I'd like to. Uh, in my book, um, uh, there, there's a couple of books that I want to uh, that I want to focus on. Um, uh, Seven Truths That Changed the World looks at this question of logic and being grounded in, in, in the mind of God. And A World of Difference not only has a discussion of the laws of logic, but it ties it into worldview thinking. So those would be two, I think, really good sources to kind of consult. And of course, in all of those, I cite other logicians and philosophers that would be very helpful. All right, good. Thank you for that. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Uh, Be sure to share the link and get some conversation going with the people who have listened to it and let us know your thoughts. You can reach uh, Ken via his Twitter handle at RTB underscore K samples. You can subscribe to the Reasons to Believe podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts, and you'll get an episode of Straight Thinking delivered to you each week. So don't miss out on any of them. Ken also writes a blog every other week that comes out on reflectionsbyken.wordpress.com. Be sure to check that out as well. That's going to wrap it up for Ken Samples and Dave Rogstad. This is Joe Aguirre with a reminder that the goal of apologetics is not victory, but truth. Thanks for listening and join us for the next edition of Straight Thinking. Thank you for listening. Your prayers and financial support are reaching people with reasons for faith in Jesus Christ, our Creator and Savior. To allow Reasons to Believe programs like this to continue, make your gift today at reasons.org.